Faithful love flowing down from the Lord God All right, we're good to go now. Good. All right, glad you're here tonight. We appreciate all of you for being here. We may need to go to the house. Want me to start where I was? Okay. <laughs> All right. There are a couple of points of emphasis on the sick that I want to mention briefly. Uh, Nellie uh, Barrett, uh, this is the mother of Jerry Barrett, is uh, kind of, I guess we could say at the point of death. She's under hospice care now. Things are very critical. Uh, Jerry and uh, Andrea are going to be heading to uh, Cincinnati tomorrow. Uh, where they live, so please play, pray for them while they travel and that things will go the way they should go. Also, David White, uh, Rebecca Smitherman's dad, is in very serious condition and needs our prayers. Also, uh, her mother, 
Uh, Shirley White is recovering from recent surgery. So these are some points of emphasis uh, that we need to uh, think about tonight in addition to others that are listed as sick. Also, I want to remind the Freed Hardeman Associates, you're going to meet next Thursday night, January the 18th, in the Annex. Uh, the meeting will be at 6 p.m. since it will be our annual auction meeting. So that's a week, I believe, from tomorrow night. Ladies, uh, if you're willing to help with showers, you're asked to meet this Sunday in the little chapel following the morning service. Also, please remember the gift card table that is set up in the foyer for baby Tracy Cole for us. This is Ken and Anita's newest grandson. Uh, so please, uh, I got that right, didn't I? Yeah, okay, I thought. Uh, please remember that. Lads to leaders, there's some things going on this Sunday that you need to take note of. Uh, banner uh, pickup, uh, the kit is in the foyer, and uh, please follow the instructions in the bag, and see D. Whirly if you have any questions. Also, song leading, songs of praise. Uh, there are sign-up sheets to choose a time slot. Uh, on the table in the foyer for you to have your uh, time at the Jones house. Uh, the, that schedule is in the bulletin. Bible Bowl is at 4 o'clock in the tack for all ages, and also uh, the convention fee is due now. Uh, family Ice Skate Night is coming up this Sunday, January the 14th at Cadence Bank Arena. This will be from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock. It's $5 per skater. Uh, also, there's going to be pizza uh, that's going to be served, but you need to sign the list so they'll know how much to order. And uh, also, uh, just like you're used to doing at the convention, please bring your own drink. Bring your own drink, non-alcoholic, please. But uh, please bring your own drink. Uh, they told me to really emphasize that. And uh, please sign up in the foyer if you plan to be a part of this. Also, youth area-wide worship and fellowship is coming up on Sunday, January the 21st. There's lots of food that's needed. There's sign-up sheets in the foyer. Tomorrow is our first food pantry and clothes closet uh, for the new year. Uh, those that normally participate, uh, if you can come, we'd appreciate it. And if you'd like to come and check it out, I think you would be impressed by what you see. Uh, the particular food pantry item this week that we would love for you to bring is pop-top canned meat of some kind. So if you could bring that and leave it, we would appreciate it very much. I want to commend uh, James Hester. Uh, James does a great job uh, on our facilities, our building, keeping it all repaired. But James went to over eight of our shut-ins and widows and other people and prepared their homes for this. But, I think somebody else will come and take over. Somebody's trying to tell you something. But, I appreciate James for taking the time to do that. I think that's a great service that we offer uh, the community here, in particular our members. I've got some letters. They're in the bulletin, but I think I need to read these letters. I don't know if you'll read them or not. There's some thank you letters. I want to read one person from my own family and some others as well. There's quite a few of these, but some are very short, so please bear with me. Uh, this is from my family. 
It says, my family and I want to thank all of you for your phone calls, visits, text cards, prayers, and many words of encouragement over the last few days as we dealt with the loss of my father. It was especially meaningful to our family that several made the trip to Florence on Saturday for the funeral. Your thoughtfulness was also seen in the beautiful spray of yellow roses and white lilies, as well as the pottery piece. We were all deeply touched by your heartfelt sympathy in such a difficult time. Uh, the Boonville congregation is a very special place, and we are honored to be a part of the family of God here. Thank you again for remembering us and being there for us during this time. We love you dearly, Doug and Jody Smith and family. Also, the family of Beatrice Barron offers our heartfelt thanks for the kindness shown to us during her illness and passing. We thank each of you for the prayers, calls, food, uh, cards, flowers, and visits. We feel so blessed to have so many to give us comfort and support during this time. This is from Judy Barron, Farron Calvert, and Carolyn Crawford. Dear Boonville Church of Christ, thank you so much for remembering us during the holiday season. It isn't easy, it isn't easy being away from friends and family during this time of the year, but the gifts and Bibles you've sent have reminded us of home and the people uh, for whom we do this job. Thank you sincerely. That's from, let's see here. That's from the members of the 128th Military Police Company in Camp Bonstill in Kosovo. Of course, uh, Jonathan Timms is with that group, so they thank us for what we did for them. Also, dear church family, thank you so much for remembering us with the delicious fruit basket and visit. We love you, Milton and Juanice Floyd. Dear church family, thank you for the beautiful fruit basket and visit. I truly appreciate being remembered with love, Julius Lee Wales. Thank you, Boonville Church of Christ, for the beautiful fruit basket and Christian love, Eddie and Myra Mooney. Uh, that's all the announcements that I have tonight. I uh, hope you'll come back Sunday. Bring somebody with you. We'll have uh, worship together at 930 uh, on Sunday morning. We'll have great Bible classes for all ages at 5 o'clock on Sunday night. For our devotional tonight, Brother Brandon Elliott will be leading our singing. Adam Carlson is going to be leading our prayer. And Thomas Long is going to present our devotional thoughts. I was hoping he'd tear it up again before we sang. If you have uh, your song book, turn to number 923. That'll be our invitation song if you want to mark that, number 923. And if you have that marked, turn to 705, 705. A common love for each other.
Good evening, church family. I cannot express how nervous I am or how excited I am that this night finally come. I have been looking forward to this Devo since I signed up for this. I want to talk to you all this evening about God's love. There are many ways we give and receive love these days. We give and receive love from family and friends. We love things that belong to us. We love things we do like sports and hunting. You might even love another human, and one day when you are 40, according to my mother's plan for me, you might marry that human, but I'm not certain my dad will let me live at the house that long. The main source of love that I want to focus on tonight is God's love. Everyone loves different things, but God's love covers us all. We are commanded to love others. Sometimes it is hard to love two brothers like Anderson and Sullivan, but we are commanded in the Bible to love others more than we love ourselves. We should remember that we should love God more than we do worldly things or earthly people. We are to love God with our whole heart and have faith in His love. We are to love God because He first loved us. The world teaches us that love is a feeling, but according to the Bible, God's love is not just a feeling, but a demonstrated action. In my study, I learned a few examples of showing God's love that are taught through the Bible. First, John 3.16 teaches one of the most powerful demonstrations of love, God's love for humanity. Second, we learn of God's love through the creation of man in Genesis 1, 27 through 28. Third, John 13, 1 through 7, shows Jesus is washing his disciples' feet in love. Fourth, we learn this in Luke 10, 25 through 37, in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we are to show God's love to others. And finally, number five, Luke 15, 11 through 32, we learn of God's unconditional love through the story of the prodigal son. There, there's just a few examples of love, but there are way more, more in the Bible. Many people of all ages struggle with self-worth, seeking affirmation from the world. Understanding God's immense love can ground us in our true identity as children of God. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can experience God's love and be reconciled through Him. 1 John 3, 1 Behold the, what matter of God the Father has bestowed on us, what, that we should be called children of God, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Imagine the world today, if we loved God and showed God's love to others more, where would this world be? In conclusion, I want you to ask yourself, do you love God as much as you do other things or other people? Always remember, one of the shortest Bible verses is the most powerful. 1 John 4.8 He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you have not taken the opportunity to receive God's love through baptism or you need prayer to demonstrate God's love more, Please come forward as we stand and sing. It's number 924. I said 923. Number 924 is what we'll be singing. Just as I am. Just as I am with
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time. We come so very grateful and thankful for another privilege to be able to be here together as your people for the purpose of studying your word. And as we prepare to depart to go do that, we pray that we will be attentive to the things that we are going to receive and that we'll be able to make application of those things and that we'll continue to study them. We are mindful of those of our number who are sick, those who are struggling in various ways and whatever their needs are, we pray that you will be with and comfort, strengthen them their caregivers. We ask you to be with the Barrett family and the White family at this time as they have loved ones who are struggling in various ways that they too will be comforted and strengthened. We ask you to be with those that are hurting and struggling spiritually and if we have opportunity may we minister to them and may they be strengthened, and may they return unto us, whatever their circumstances may be. Be with us in all things as we prepare to depart for our classes. And for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. For uh, Brandon leads us in our song, i got to say a word about Anderson. That was an outstanding job. Thomas, sorry, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Thomas did a great job tonight. If you notice, his topic was so timely, but you notice the verses he put in there, the way he presented it. Uh, I strongly suggest you go to Fried Hardeman and major in Bible and become a preacher. I think you ought to set that as a goal right now. But Thomas stood up here. Did you notice how he stood up here to the invitation song? You know, so he did a great job, and we thank him for it. I want to encourage all the young men to think about doing this yourself. Sign up like Thomas did and did a great job. Number 129, we'll sing one verse of Amazing Grace. 129. And Thomas, I want to say the same. Good job. Proud of you. Amazing Grace
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul? try to get through this as quickly as we can. Our theme, of course, is how to have a meaningful life. And I, I think tonight's lesson is right up there at the top in regard to what it takes to have a meaningful life. And uh, a forgiving attitude is an absolute must if we want to have a meaningful life. I think there are a few subjects that are of greater importance than the subject of forgiveness. I think you would agree with me on that. The significance of this blessing, I think, is emphasized upon our minds when we come to realize just how essential it is for us to obtain the forgiveness of God for ourselves. Where would we be without forgiveness? Have you ever thought about that? What would we do if we did not have God's forgiveness? I can't even imagine going to bed at night, knowing that I was at odds with God, knowing that God had not forgiven me of my sin. We need that forgiveness. We long that for that forgiveness. And when the personal applications of any subject are considered and realized and understood, it makes the matter under consideration that much more meaningful and interesting to us. You know, the truth of the matter is very serious. We've got to obtain the forgiveness of God for our sins or else what? We're going to be lost, aren't we? We're going to be ju <clears throat> judged by God <clears throat> because of our sins. You know, the Bible speaks very clearly of the fact that <clears throat> all people need to obtain this forgiveness or else they're under the sentence of death. There's no other way to look at it. Uh, you know, the difficult task that we have as Christians is to make people out in the world realize the seriousness of their spiritual condition. That's hard to do, isn't it? You know, if you are a vacuum salesman and you go to somebody's house, what do you want to do? You want to try to make them see the need of buying this vacuum. And uh, I read the story one time where this uh, vacuum uh, cleaner salesman knocked on the door and uh, said, I've got a vacuum I want to sell you and I want you to look at. And he poured some grimy dirt all over her carpet. And he said, I want to show you how this vacuum cleaner can clean. She said, well, you'll have to wait till later the electricity's out. <laughs> well, you can get yourself in a pickle, can't you? <laughs> but, uh, you know, a salesman like that wants you to see the need that you have. Commercials do the same thing, don't they? You know, when they sell some product, they want to emphasize a need that you have. And that's our responsibility as Christians when 
we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we've got to emphasize the need that people have for the forgiveness of God. Uh, they have to feel that sense of lostness. And the Bible clearly speaks that all people need to obtain this forgiveness. You know, Paul sought to impress upon uh, the mind of Christians in Rome the importance of this uh, idea. For example, in Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. Not even one person is righteous. Romans 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, there's none of this idea, you know, that this is a sorry human being. Look at all the awful things he's done. I'm better off than he is. Well, if you're in your sins, God doesn't see things that way. You're just as lost as the worst criminal or the most despicable uh, human being that you might think of as far as the actions that he may have committed. We're all under sin. We've all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, Paul told the Romans, the wages of sin is death. And then in Romans 5 and verse 12, Paul said, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You know, what's Paul trying to get across here to these Roman brethren? You know, he's trying to get them to understand that their being justified and made righteous before God required first that they be forgiven by God. Uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 3, is a very important passage. And, you know, Paul sought to impress upon the minds of the Romans that their justification before God could only come through the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, in the religious world today, <clears throat> there's very little doubt about what cleanses men of their sins. Most all religious people will agree that, you know, the blood of Christ is necessary to wash away our sins. The argument comes when we talk about how the blood of Christ washes away our sins. That's where the debate comes in. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore... That word, therefore, is there for a reason. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now, Paul makes it very clear <clears throat> to these brethren here that one has to emulate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be justified by God. Just as Jesus Christ was buried, we too are buried. We are immersed in water. Jesus shed his blood in his death, right? And we are baptized into the Lord's death. 
And just as Jesus Christ came up from that watery grave of baptism or that watery that grave that held him for three days, we too arise from that watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. And so Christ shed his blood when he died upon the cross. It's that blood that we need to supply our souls for cleansing from sin. And Paul here shows that baptism into Christ, when we're buried in the death of Christ, then we are brought forth from that watery grave to a new life, a new spiritual life. Whereas we were once dead spiritually, now we are quickened. We are made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. That old man of sin is buried. That old man is done away with. The new man of righteousness is brought forth. The Bible says in verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, I don't know about you folks, but that's a marvelous word picture in my mind to think about what baptism is and what baptism does and how baptism accomplishes what it does. Is there anything special about the water? Nothing at all. Sometimes we in the church are accused of, y'all just believe in water baptism. Well, we believe you need to use water for baptism and a lot of water, but we don't just believe in water baptism that water is special or that particular water does something significant. We believe it's our obedience and compliance to the will of God as we're baptized that allows us to come into contact with Jesus. Remember 1 Peter 3 and 21, the like figure, whereunto even baptism, the immersion in water, doth also now save us. It's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. You're not getting a bath. You're not walking, you're not, you're not washing away, you know, physical dirt or whatever. But it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. You know, Paul told the Romans again, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can I know that I'm a child of God? But Paul said his spirit bears witness with our spirit. His spirit tells us what to do to become a Christian, to become a child of God, right? You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, hath put on Christ, God's spirit tells us through his word what it takes to become a child of God. His spirit bears witness with my spirit. My spirit bears witness that I've done those things, right? You know, a lot of times I, I try to emphasize to young people. Uh, you know, sometimes we hear a lot about some folks maybe being rebaptized. Maybe they didn't understand what they did. I always encourage young people, especially... Uh, when they're baptized into Christ to go home that night and write down specifically in their own words what they just did and why they did it. And I submit to you that in 20 years, if they ever doubt what they did and if they knew what they were doing, they can just pick up that piece of paper, can't they? And they can say, yeah, you know, there it is. I think that's helpful. I encourage young people to do that. And so Paul talked about the importance of forgiveness. And uh, you remember how you felt when you obeyed the gospel, when you came up out of that water? How did it make you feel? 
Anybody? Want to say? How did it make you feel when you came up out of that water? Alive. Free? Alive? Clean? White as snow? Justified? Felt like uh, a guilty uh, burden had been lifted off of you, right? Do what? The Spirit with me. Okay. And so, you know, it's, there's nothing like that. And uh, forgiveness is something that we desire and something that we need. Now, the appropriating the forgiveness that God has made so freely available to our personal lives represents a very important need to every person, regardless of our station in life. And so the question is, how do I obtain this forgiveness is one that has raised, uh, been raised by many serious-minded uh, people in every generation. You know, we oftentimes use the word alien sinner. Now, nowadays, I, I don't try to use that term anymore, alien sinner. I think of somebody off Mars, you know what I mean? You know, how are we going to save this so-called alien from another planet? You know, people's minds today are so much on aliens, so I don't want to confuse the average person that's not very religious when I talk about an alien sinner. Now, you know, what do you mean an alien sinner? What about human sinners? <laughs> but uh, when I say alien sinner, we're talking about one outside of Christ, one that has no relationship with Christ. Uh, the one outside of Jesus Christ obtains this forgiveness through his obedience to the gospel. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power, it's the dynamite of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Acts 2 and 38, when those people cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, you repent and you be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We remember Saul when he was on the road to Damascus and he saw that shining light and he was told to go to Damascus and he would be told what to do to be saved. And just to make a long story short, uh, Saul was ultimately told in Acts 22 and verse 16, Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I like to, as a side point, just mentioned briefly that phrase, calling on the name of the Lord. A lot of religious people today would say, you know, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You know, even in the Old Testament, the prophecy was, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's true, isn't it? Question is, how does one call on the name of the Lord? Well, let the Bible answer here, right? Do you call on the name of the Lord by just verbally accepting him into your heart or saying the sinner's prayer, you know, or consciously deciding you're going to live for God in the future and start coming to church services somewhere? No. The answer is right here, how you call on the name of the Lord. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you do it. It's by being baptized into Jesus Christ. I've already touched on 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Now, there's two laws of pardon. There's a law of pardon. There's a law of forgiveness for one who's outside of Christ. There's also a law of pardon 
for the erring child of God. Now, I hear people say sometimes when they're asked, is he a member of the church? He used to be, but he's not now. That's a false statement. Once you're a member of the church, you're always a member of the church. You may be saved or lost. You may be faithful or unfaithful, but you are a member of the church. You may be an erring member of the church. You may be a lost member of the church, but you are a member of the church once the Lord adds you to his body. But there's a second law of forgiveness for the erring member of the church. And we've got to apply that second law of pardon into the right situation. Over in Acts chapter 8, we read about uh, Simon, uh, the sorcerer. I want to make sure I say that right. I've been called a sorcerer myself because I like lots of sauces, you know, and I get little bowls of sauce, you know, around my meat. Uh, so I've been called a sorcerer. This is a sorcerer. Uh, Simon the sorcerer obeyed the gospel. He was one that bewildered the people with his many magical tricks. I mean, it looked good, but Simon obviously knew that when real miracles were, 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 were being done, that didn't compare to what I can do as good as I am. I mean, this doesn't even compare. This is the real deal. And so Simon believed. He obeyed the gospel. He was baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, Simon saw that uh, this might be a way to make some money. And he had made some money, you know, through his sorcery and so forth. And the Bible says when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given, he tried to buy that gift. Now, some people uh, are mistaken when they say Solomon, uh, Solomon, <laughs> Simon just wanted to be able to perform miracles. That's all he wanted to do. No, that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted the power of an apostle. He wanted to be able to, just like an apostle, lay hands on people so that they could perform the miraculous. And uh, that just didn't go over too well. Simon Peter replied to him. He said, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. Now, he's a child of God. Has he got to be rebaptized? Has he got to be baptized again to be forgiven? He said, you are in the bond of iniquity. You're in the gall of bitterness. You're in trouble, Simon. Doesn't have to be rebaptized or baptized again. What did he say to do? He said, Simon, repent of this, therefore, your wickedness, and pray to God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. And so when one is outside of Jesus Christ, he has to be baptized. He has to be buried in water. When one has obeyed the gospel and he's allowed sin to overcome his life in order to come back to God, that individual must be willing to repent, acknowledge his sins, and pray for forgiveness. First uh, John 1 and verse 9, John states the blessing available to all children of God who mess up, who go back into sin. He says, if, that's a big word there, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that statement. You know, we don't have to beg God to forgive us, do we? We don't have to try to just hope and coerce God to forgive us if we sin. The Bible says here, if we're willing to confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's ready to do so. 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the law of pardon for the one who is an erring child of God. And so it becomes more and more apparent as we read and study our Bibles that to gain the forgiveness that God offers, there are requirements, there are conditions that we must meet. And I've already touched on those. For one outside of Christ, you know, we always talk about the steps of salvation, and that's what they are. You have to hear the Word of God, right? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You have to believe, right? That's just natural. And, you know, we know belief is not enough. How do I know that? Well, I get an example of the demons in the book of James, right? They believe and tremble. They believe so much they tremble in fear, but they're not saved, are they? You know, one must confess Jesus as being the Son of God. The eunuch is an example we use in Acts 8 and verse 37. And then, of course, one is immersed in water, buried with the Lord in baptism in order to wash away sins. Now, again, once I've done that and I go off into sin, I allow temptation to get the best of me. I need to be willing and to humble myself and know that if I acknowledge my sins in humility, I confess them and I turn from them, pray to God for forgiveness, and uh, those sins are once again washed away. 1 John 1 and verse 7 is the most com one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, continual process, keeps on cleansing us of all sin. That's why every single day, I don't need to live in worry and in agony and in anxiety over my personal salvation. When I'm walking in the light trying to do what God says, that blood just keeps on washing, right? It keeps on keeping on, never runs out. You know, that blood continually washes away my sins. And uh, it's continued action there. Now, let's move on. This is one of the, the main thrusts of our lesson tonight. Having talked about the forgiveness we have from God, which is so important to have a meaningful life, makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? And how we approach life. But to everyone, there's still another condition that we must meet if we want the forgiveness of God. We have to be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, you cannot have a meaningful life and harbor grudges and ill will toward other people. And I think we have, to a certain degree, overlooked this condition in much of our teaching and study. Uh, some may incorporate this idea with the idea of repentance, and some may ignore it just being a condition at all. But Jesus left no question in the minds of those who heard his powerful sermon on the mount concerning whether or not that this is a condition or a requirement. For example, in Matthew 6 and 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 really uh, nails this down when Jesus said, for if you forgive me in their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your trespasses. What we have here is a, a take it or leave it proposition. How many of us want God's forgiveness? Oh, I, I'm, please, please let me have that. But if I refuse to forgive you for something, 
if I hold grudges and ill will toward you, I destroy this bridge by which God forgives me. God will not forgive me unless I'm willing to forgive you. That's just how it is. And you can take it for what it's worth, but that's what Jesus said very, very plainly. And uh, there's no question in the minds of those uh, regarding uh, the importance of being forgiven. But we've got to take into consideration that we've got to be forgiving toward other people. And, you know, there may be a question, how many times do I forgive somebody? How often should I be forgiving of other people? You know, sometimes you, we say, well, somebody may say this, but they won't ask me. They won't ask me to forgive me, to, to forgive them. Well, let me just say this about that. That may be true. They may not ask you to forgive them, but, you know, whether they ask us or not, we better harbor an attitude of forgiveness one way or the other, right? So that we'll make sure we're forgiven. You know, their forgiveness may be in jeopardy, but I'm not going to put my forgiveness in jeopardy. I'm going to be forgiving of somebody myself, whether they ask me or not, you know. So think about that. But how many times do I forgive somebody? In Matthew 18, 21, uh, then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him until seven times? Can't you see Peter smile when he said that? Seven times. Wow. Peter, man, uh, he's expecting a, a pat on the back from Jesus. Seven times? Uh, you know, people say the rabbis, you know, said you only need to forgive somebody three times. Peter added three to it and then put one on top of that. I don't know. But, you know, whatever you say, Peter thought he was just being so generous at seven times. And then Jesus said to him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. In other words, our forgiveness is to be unlimited, unlimited. Now, some people may have a, a, a card, you know. With 400 and whatever 70 times 7 is, 490, they may have 490, and they'll get that down there and try to check that. Oh, that's 500. You're done, you know. Uh, that's not what the Lord is saying there. He's saying our forgiveness is to be total and complete, and uh, that's how often we are to forgive. Now, as we near uh, our close on this lesson, got a few more thoughts here. The finality, the completeness of the forgiveness offered by God should surely impress us with the precious nature of the blessing that's available to us. God does not owe us forgiveness, right? We don't deserve forgiveness. I'm thankful I don't get what I deserve. I'm thankful I get grace and mercy and not what I deserve. But let's think about this problem of unresolved guilt. I think there's a problem of unresolved guilt that continues to rob many people in the church of the happiness and joy that they should experience in their daily lives. Uh, some people express doubts and fears regarding their particular situations. They may say, for example, I know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness and I know I've done what the Bible says, but when I stop and think about the things that I've done that's wrong, when I think about the bad things that I've done, how could a God that's so good and loving forgive me? You know, when people struggle with God forgiving them, it comes down to this question. Do I believe God has forgiven me? 
And if I believe God has forgiven me, then I need to believe and forgive myself, don't I? Right? You know? Uh, if I believe in God's forgiveness, I need to be willing to forgive myself. And in this and all other questions like it, you know, we don't need to try to limit the love and the forgiveness of God. Uh, because God's love and forgiveness is never to be limited. If I know that I've done, what, no matter what I've done, no matter the guilt I may feel, I don't think any of us have ever done anything worse than what the Apostle Paul did in his pre-conversion life. You know, he actually took the life of Christians. He lived to destroy the church. And do you think Paul ever forgot that when he became a Christian? I don't think he ever forgot it. But he didn't allow it to dominate his life. He knew it had been forgiven by God. He knew it had been washed away. He knew it had been taken care of. And I think that motivated him to be the great servant of God uh, that he was. And surprisingly, as it may seem, there's been studies done that have been made among our own brethren in our brotherhood that indicate the fact that there's a large number of people who are experiencing this problem. This problem of unresolved guilt. And so it's evident, therefore, that we need to spend more time teaching regarding the forgiveness that God offers and the completeness of it. We've got about nine minutes or so left, and I want to look at that just for a minute uh, tonight. Uh, the Bible teaches us that when we apply God's law of pardon, He forgives us. He blots it out. He rubs or wipes out our sin. You know, if you were to talk to God, if you were able to have a conversation with God after your sins had been washed away, you might say, God, I'm sorry for that sin I committed way back then. God would say, what? What are you talking about? God's incapable of remembering sin. You know, he's, he's washed it away. It's gone. He's blotted it out of his book of remembrance. Uh, Acts 3 and verse 19, Peter said, Repent, therefore, and be converted. I think you can parallel that with Acts 2.38. Repent, therefore, and be baptized. To be converted means the same as to be baptized. Repent you, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Psalms 51 verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Blot it out. Why tarriest thou, Paul was told, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know, you wash a dirty piece of, of or dirty garment, right? And it comes out just new. It's gone, right? There's no, there's no evidence of it anymore. It's, it's completely washed away. Uh, these truths impress us with the fact that when God forgives our sins, he remembers them against us no more. Now, you remember, according to Hebrews 10, 3 and 4, one of the weaknesses of that old law was, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance of sins made every year because it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Under the old law, they really couldn't be forgiven, could they? They were always remembered. They were always pushed forward one year. But then Acts, Hebrews 10, that same chapter, verses 12 through 14 says, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice 
for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's the one perfect sacrifice and he washed sins completely away. Psalms 25 verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Psalm 79 verse 8, O remember not against us former iniquities. Let your tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. I mean, over and over again, the Bible talks about and emphasizes when God forgives, they're completely done away with. And so if you've been forgiven of sin and you have this unresolved guilt, you're feeling guilty about something that God doesn't even know about. So what I'm saying to you, if you believe God's forgiven you, 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 you believe it yourself, okay? You need to believe it yourself. I'll make all the difference in the world. All right, I'm going to close tonight by simply saying that God wants all people to enjoy the blessing of of forgiveness because it's essential to a meaningful life. It ought to sadden us to think about the countless people outside these walls tonight in our community and throughout the world that don't enjoy this forgiveness. They don't have this forgiveness. It is a blessing, the promise of which has been revealed in his word. You know, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 1 Peter 3 and verse 9, you think about the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 as the Bible depicts the love and concern that God the Father has for his erring children. And our lives will never be meaningful, nearly as they could be, without developing this attitude. The only way to eliminate the guilt of sin is to obtain the forgiveness of God. How you do that is dependent upon whether you are outside of Christ or whether you're an erring child of God. And we must either obtain his forgiveness or else we're going to be judged by him in the guilt because of our sins. All right, any comments y'all want to make? Uh, maybe that I've not touched on something like I should touch on or maybe there's something additionally that I should add. If you, if you have any questions, you're, you're free to speak up. We've got about three minutes. I will appreciate any comment you would want to make. Anything at all. Well, at least no snoring during this silence, so I guess that's good, right? And the microphone held up. We can be thankful for that. Well, I'll say thank you for listening tonight. And I notice tonight's the 10th, so we've got the 17th, 24th, and 31st, I believe. Uh, we've got... Uh, when, you know, Wednesdays in this month. So we got about three more lessons on how to have a meaningful life. And we're going to talk about, you know, two or three more things that we need to think about in order to have a meaningful life. Thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate it very much.